This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we are joined by Mr. Aaron Gordon from the great state of New York, where it's much cooler than it is down here in Tampa right now. What's going on, brother? That's trying to stay warm. Trying to stay warm and uh, shoveling from the knees. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it is cold here today, uh, though. I mean, it's like up, up, up by me, it's windy, even though the sun's out. I mean, it's got to be like high 40s, low 50s. You know what, man? I was thinking about this the other day. Honestly, this has really been probably the coldest winter we've had in a long time. Thank you. See, I had this conversation with my dad like a week ago, and he tried to say that it hasn't been cold. It's been. It has definitely been cold. Do do you even have heat? Do you guys even have heat? Or (laughs) yeah, no. I mean, here's how I gauge it. We've picked up three truckloads of firewood already. So, you know, we'll go buy we'll go buy like a quart of firewood or whatever, and it'll last us for a week. We we've bought three truckloads and we're looking for a fourth today because it's it's cool enough that we'll have the fireplace going tonight. It'll get down into the upper thirties probably at night so, if it's no, this tonight. Cold for the, the next day. three days, the low is thirty like eight or nine or something like that. But yeah, wow. I mean it's um we normally don't turn the heat on and we have this year and part of that is due to the fact that Nash is you know an infant and his room needs to not be sixty degrees at night um, like how I would like to sleep, but. Yeah, most of the yeah. time, Aaron, down here, when we turn our heater on, it smells like grandma's house Like oh. any time yeah. during the winter. It's it's just all the dust and everything is getting getting blown out. It's it's insane. So yep. anyhow, people don't want to hear about our weather and complaining about it because they're just going to think that we're spoiled right. rotten with good I, weather I am all from year, New York, and I am complaining, but I can because I am yeah, from right. the Northeast. <laughs> you guys well, can. Nobody wants to hear you guys complain. No, it's funny because when uh, uh, Doug Benz, who owns an agency up in Buffalo, was with me in Key West over the weekend, and what he went back to yesterday, no human should have to endure. <laughs> you know what's actually amazing about that is my mother grew up in Syracuse, New York, and places like Buffalo and Syracuse, they handle more snow so much more efficiently than New York City, where I am here. It's like one or two inches and everyone's freaking out, stay off the roads. And my mother said she never heard of this thing called a snow day. Until she came to Manhattan, because like if every time it snowed an inch or two in Buffalo or Syracuse, they never have school, so they handle yeah. it much better. 
Yeah, no kidding. I, I'm with you. Well, listen, um, why don't you bring everybody up to speed? I'm interested in hearing your backstory a little bit, and then we'll we'll roll from there. So, yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I am a second generation, not quite principal yet, but manager in a an old school insurance agency that's looking towards the future. My father started our firm on December 6th, 1968 with one client, a client that we are privileged to still have today. Wow. So we're now, they're working with their second generation. We're working with our fifth. And I am trying to be the bridge between old school service and new age technology. So I kind of, I'm the guy who says, hey, we should have a management system or hey, maybe we should think about taking credit cards. But I have my parents in my ear always saying, we will always answer the phone. The calls are forwarded to my cell phone now during snowstorms and things like that. And we have an emergency number that's manned by me or my parents. So we're a traditional PNC, PNC agency, sorry. And it, it's been a crazy year because it hasn't, it's a hard year to judge. I, I've never, I've never been so excited to be a PNC agent. It's not cool, although I think it is kind of cool sometimes. And um, in financial instability, I'm not downplaying the suffering of many people or many industries, but our industry and our client base has remained kind of stable-ish. Obviously, there are some changes in small businesses and audits and things like that, but you know, people still value service and we've been able to help people through that. And it also does help that PPP loans require com commercial clients to have proper insurance. So kind of helps us too. So in that kind yeah, of Yeah, no, it's um it's been interesting. So when, when you go to your parents with these technology ideas, what's the standard pushback? I mean, I understand that they want to still be able to deliver that personal experience. But I mean, my, my philosophy is this, the more technology you use, the better the human experience is. For you sure. Know, you can... You, you can automate so many things that don't require, you know, whether it be a direct phone call or a, a, an in-person meeting that you can have as many of those as you need and actually be much more efficient in your operation by doing that. I'm just interested is to, you know, because I've been through this dynamic before. I have Florida Risk Partners because my dad wouldn't budge on a CRM at my other agency. So I just said, screw it, left and started my own. Well, right. Well, they are still. And I don't advocate I say, you do that, Aaron. So <laughs> well, I was say, I, yeah, I, I, I have no plans of leaving. Wink, wink, David. I'll call you later. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, the, the most. First of all, we've been doing this now for over 10 years together, and 15 years if you count the part-time work. And so my pitch is any technology that will enhance the client experience and or enhance the way that we interact with our clients, the way they want us to interact with them, we're all for that. What we don't want and what I agree with my parents on is replacing the optional human experience with mm -hmm. a robot. So yeah, we're on the same page, man. 100%. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like we didn't have – you talk about not having a CRM. CRM slash agency management system, we didn't have one until 2015. And I, I, I used to be embarrassed to say that. And the reason why we got it, to be totally candid, was I was pushing and a couple of our agency partners came to my parents and said – Listen, you always talk about Aaron continuing this business. Well, good news and bad news. We think he's a decent guy. Bad news is if it wasn't for the fact that our higher-ups, that our carriers made us work with you in your antiquated ways because we've been doing this for 50 years, we would shut you down. Not because of growth, but just because of difficulty. So that's kind of how we looked at things. And that's huh. when we got our agency management system. And the pushback, just to answer your direct question, is if it's not broke, we don't fix it, right? We're a small family business. We do understand that. You know, 
we the way we earn our to pay our mortgages or to pay our kids tuition or to go on vacation is profits. So I'm not an I'm not an exorbitant spender when it comes to technology, but when there are technologies, we try to leverage them. It's weird because I say that we're kind of technology backwards, but we were, and I say this with a lot of pride, we're agency 001 with Glovebox, and I know you had them on. So that was just because I kind of met them through LinkedIn and I was part of their pilot. And that's our clients that want that, great. If you don't want that, we'll still be here for you. But everyone who's in my age bracket, right? they don't, if I can say I have an app with my name on it, so they don't go to the Chubb app or to the Geico app or to the other app and they see my name, I love mm-hmm. that because that enhances the experience and I can still communicate with them. And I can still see when they want the service, but they can also have it on their terms and it's not a me forcing my old time technology on them. I think that that's the biggest issue, uh, not issue, but the biggest, the, the biggest opportunity for change with the old guard, so to speak, because at some point, even though we want the human experience. We have to realize we have to communicate with people on the medium they want to be communicated with, Mm -hmm. you know? So if we've got people who want a self-service portal, if we don't have one, we're not going to have those clients. And there's a lot of good business out there that would, would not be in my agency if we didn't have eCerts online or if we didn't have, you know, learning management systems and all the other things that we talk about. You know, nor it used to be that I would go do safety training in person, you know, with a PowerPoint in front of a group of plumbers who wanted to hear nothing at all that was coming out of my (laughs) mouth. Now, not only can we deliver it to them so that they can receive that information at any time during the day that they want on a tablet, a phone or on a laptop or, or desktop, but we can track it. We can flag them for retraining. You know, we can make sure that it's actually getting done and provide dashboards. So, I mean, I think that, you know, your challenge is going to be as you continue to integrate new thought processes with sort of old school success, because listen, to your parents' credit, man, if they've been profitable, who are you to go in and argue with them? 100%. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't, I don't discount that at all. It's very difficult to go in. I mean, it would be one thing if they were just losing money left and right and you came in to stop the bleeding. But when you go into a business that's been successful since 1968 and has been profitable, I don't know that I'm a good enough salesman to make those changes myself, you know? It's good for point. sure. Well, it's, I'll tell you, that, uh, there's a, the one, the funny technology story that we have, which just kind of shows you how things, how, how these things work in multi-generations is when we put in our new management system in 2015. So 2016, we renew this now 53-year client in 2021. So then it was like, you know, 46 years and they've had the same controller there for 20 or 30 years that has worked with my parents. And I say, I show my mother, hey, look at these invoices. They're going to be scheduled to be printed for their monthly bills and it's going to go out automatically and look at how cool this is and we're going to send them an automated email that says hey here's your invoice if you want a digital copy here it is and at the time we didn't have online pay now we use ePay, but we didn't have them then and the controller's immediate response was this all looks great but does that mean that i'm not going to get those 11 prepaid envelopes that you guys usually send (laughs) <laughs> send back my check so i was like so my mother's like so so obviously i wrote back hey don't worry we're sending them over we'll send you 20 prepaid envelopes because it's that kind of a value client but my mother said you see you can't predict all the turnaround fast forward five years and the people that did only paper checks now they only pay online and in 2020 
Yeah. With everything that was going on with the mail and everything, the fact that we have the ability to online pay, ACH, credit card, and things like that. Some people push back and some people say, hey, we don't want to pay a fee. No problem. I'm perfectly fine interacting with you the way we always have. But if I can make it better for you and or I can bring in new business where people actually see a website that looks kind of modern, if you don't search the web, no problem. But I love if you see us on Instagram and you see some content and you get some education or you get a happy holidays message. We had someone write back to our happy first. We did our first ever newsletter, December 2020. Happy holidays from our family to yours. One guy who's been a personal client of my mother's for 24 years writes, Hey, Aaron, great to hear from you. In over 20 years of working with your family, love your mother, never got a holiday message. Not that it's necessary, but it's nice to know that you guys are thinking of us. That's good so feedback. I forward it to my too. mom. I'm go. like, boom, boom, <laughs> pay for itself. Thank you. So I'm curious if the people who were paying by paper checks and they you know, finally made the change, did they just ultimately catch up with the times or did something happen you know, internally in their COVID. organization? Yeah, okay. I, th- I think two things. I think I think COVID is one where people where it's just the mail was unreliable, and yeah. I think that that's one. And number two is I think that the integrations that people now have with their payment portals, you know, we, we saw people go from handwriting paper checks slash printing out of their own QuickBooks to people sending payments from their banks automatically to well, if you're going to send it from your bank and you're going to que- you're going to key it in, then why wouldn't you just key it in and pay online I, and then you can track it, I can track it. So I just wrote a paper check this morning and had to do it three times because it's been so long since the last time that I wrote a check. <laughs> well, I've messed my mother, up. Our, our operating account, so our trust slash premium account, that's all online and computerized. Yeah. But our actual operating account, my mother still handwrites checks. So for our producers, every month they get a handwritten check for my mother. And they always like joke at me, hey, how, when are you going to put that automated? And I said, you know what? If that's what makes my mother happy and she raised me and she did all this and she wants to write handwrite checks because it makes her feel good, go for it. Yeah. Interesting. So, wow. So I'm a big believer that most people's resume begins on LinkedIn, right? So if you go out and you get a prospect and you want to meet with them before they agree to give you their time, they're going to probably go to your company website and then they're going to go look at your LinkedIn profile to determine whether or not you're legit. So my question for you is your LinkedIn profile starts out with you're one of only four people who have very specific designations. What's the story behind that? Got to oh, go look so at yeah. this now. So, so I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of, I don't want to say insurance nerd because there are guys who are the insurance nerds. So I'll say geek slash nerd. I want to look at it, but um, I, I love learning about the business. I know that that sounds weird. I have no, my biggest hobby is insurance um, after my family. And so I was privileged a few years ago, back in 2017, Chubb has a personal insurance certification at Wharton mm-hmm. called Cappy. And I was in that group. It was amazing. I had an awesome time. I actually, you talk about our website. I met the guy who did our website. He spoke and I was like, you're exactly the guy I need to go convince my dad that we need a website. So I did that. <laughs> Um, and that was really focused on personal ad- advisory. And to be candid, until then, I wasn't convinced that high net worth, quote unquote, emerging wealth personal was going to be a long-term profit center for us. But since then, I have been convinced of it and I am still convinced of it. Um, I think that there is there is a portion that has gone commodi- really commodity-driven, kind of like Bob's. 
But if you believe in the future of the insurance agency, I think that you'll believe in that. And then uh, because I'm a nerd, I just track, especially what our carrier partners do education-wise. And Chubb has a cyber degree on the commercial side. So then I saw that and I reached out to the person there and I'm like, hey, what happened to that? And then I showed up there at Carnegie Mellon and I said, I just wonder how many people do as much personal and commercial that I would do. And if there's only, you know, 300 total cappies, quote unquote, and there's only 100 CCICs, I wonder how many overlapped. So it turns out that there's only four. Um, and we all met actually there and we have like some emails going back and forth, which is fun. Do you I'm guys the have like special rings created? <laughs> well, well, I'm the youngest by like, like 30 years. So I told them that I would t- tell them how to like put that on their LinkedIn profile. And then I'm actually doing another one hopefully this summer, which I'll, I may be one of one, but you're right. I- I'm a big LinkedIn fan. And I got to tell you, that- man, that's genius marketing though. I've got to believe that plenty of like anybody who goes to your profile brings that up. I Well, if they read it, right? Some people, people bring it up. I think that, so I don't use the, Suffixes. I don't know if that's the proper English, but suffix i, suffi, whatever the however you say multiple of things after your name. You're safe with that, this crew, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't think that people want to. I don't think people want to see that like email, email signature. And when I got the cappy one, I didn't want pe- people just to think that I just do the um, the pers- just personal insurance. But I do think that people, if if we want to call ourselves trusted advisors and experts, when we show people that we actually care enough to do the research do the learning, mention the things that we do. doesn't mean you have to write, you know, th- you know, 100-page theses. But it just means that right. if I can show my clients, hey, look, I took the time out and I went back to school and I hated school. But, you know, I did that. I, I think that that's where the value is. And, I mean, there's so many insurance agents in the world and there's so many good ones. There are also a lot of really terrible ones. So I try to stick with the good ones and differentiate myself there. Yeah, and plus I, mean, I, a, I was thinking about Jay Z, but you know, I know you had Beyonce on here, so I couldn't, I couldn't steal her thing. So <laughs> there you go. You know, I yeah the the designations are a big deal. I, I think that they're a bigger deal for us in the industry than they are um, for the people who are on the outside looking in. I think that's because we don't do a good job of explaining what they mean and what we go through to get them. Because I think that if I'm talking to a client, like there's not very many times that I go into a new business appointment with someone who's never been presented with an XMOD analysis or total cost of risk discussion that they don't say, where did you learn all this stuff? Why doesn't mm-hmm. my agent know this? Then it's a natural conversation. Well, you know, those six letters behind my name were kind of tough to come by. Let me explain to you what that looks like. And, th- and then you can have that conversation. But, you know, I don't think that anybody that's the the buyer, as much as the National Alliance is not going to be happy with me for saying this, I don't think buyers look at CICs with any different regard than anybody else. They don't know what that means. I think it's actually 100%, but I also think that you're right. We don't do a good enough job of differentiating those of us that put in the various efforts, whatever that is. And how that really does differentiate us, because one of the things that you know I've heard on your on this podcast before, and I believe in, is that you know I, the, the future in insurance for me are the small, independent, great agents. I try to put myself in that group that I don't even view as my competition. So some of my closest friends in business are my quote unquote competition, and they're not because I think that there's enough business for all of us to take from the big guys who don't care about our clients enough and have someone right. else 
who has the designations prepare the, the, the proposals for their producers that then maybe can't do that second level of explanation. But for instance, I was going to, I try to, I try to go to as many um, inspections, carrier inspections as I can on both the personal and commercial side, because I think it's a great opportunity to walk through the, and learn more about the clients. And I was walking through a client's house and I noticed that in his garage, he had what looked like a New York City basement restaurant grate. You know, those things that kind of open up the way they do the deliveries into the basements. And I, I mentioned, I said, I, I never saw anything. Is there a pump down there? What is that? And he said, oh, no, that's my wine cellar. Mm. So we got into a whole conversation with the carrier inspector there, appraiser there. We go down, we climb down these stairs into this guy's sub cellar. And we do a, I did a whole analysis on his wine collection and how it was too humid and for a couple hundred bucks he could buy something that gave him the humidity control on his phone he hmm. could track it. And he said, how did you even know about insuring wine that much? And I said, because it happens to me that I went to school for personal insurance and this is the kind of detail and high level stuff that you get when you spend the time to review it. So that's that to me is is gold. And that's right. where that's where we can that's where we can do a better job of differentiating ourselves saying this is why you have me and not someone else. And I think people are often scared to say that. Yeah, and it's posturing to a certain degree too, right? You put yourself in the position to answer that question because you were there. You know, our competition or peer group or whatever we want to to classify them as aren't going to these carrier inspections by and large. I mean, I don't know of very many at all around here. In one of my classic stories was early in my career, I showed up for a backflow test on a sprinkler system at a large account that I wrote. I had no clue what I was going to learn when I got there. I didn't have any idea what this guy was monitoring, but what I did know was that I didn't know what I was walking into and I wanted to the next time. And I think that if you're a producer and you're looking for a way to find leverage or, you know, differentiate yourself, participating in stuff like that is huge because not, not just because you do it once somebody's your client, but now you have educated things you can bring exactly. up at the point of sale, you know, like, you know, some, say, hey, just out of curiosity, I know that the property inspector is going to ask this, but when's the last time you had a backflow test done on your sprinkler system. You know, I was out with the inspector from Chubb last week at blah, 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 blah. Right. And now you've referenced, you know, somebody else that's probably in their industry that recognizable. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, if, if you're a producer, one thing that I would tell anybody listening to this, if you want to differentiate yourself, just be present, period. Every time you have the opportunity, be present because <clears throat> you will take something from each one of those those events that you can use later to help you get new business or solidify a relationship that you already have. And I mean, that costs nothing but your time to do and the volumes of credibility you're buying with that small time investment are immeasurable. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, so I, one of the reasons why I love being on the PNC side is because I, our renewals are equally as valuable to us as a piece of new business. And that means that you can strengthen your relationships to get better referrals. I tell people, any new producer that I speak to, I tell them that there's a, two most important things they can do are go to property inspections and show up, not make a phone call, show up when there's a claim. And people tell me, well, why would you do that? You can be pro you can be prospecting new business. So a few years ago, I go to a client of ours. They have a leak. I go in I, the restoration company. I bring in the re one of the restoration companies we work with. I go in there and I learn like you said about backflow, I learn about 
returns in steam heat systems. So you guys are in the south, so you don't really do that. But when you have steam heat, the steam goes up through the system all the way to the roof, and then it comes back down in one pipe and recirculates into the boiler, which means that there's water coming down a central pipe, and then it goes across the basement into the boiler. So, and that those are old pipes, and there's constantly water sitting on there. So they tend to rust, especially in older houses. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a couple of months, client of mine thinks they have a pipe burst. Bring in a different, they, they bring in their own restoration company. I show up on site when they're doing it. They said, we can't find the source of the leak. I said, well, did you dig? Did you, you, you're too high on the wall. Look a little bit lower at the bottom. Check the slope of the return. They said, what return? I said, the steam heat. Look, it's connected to the boiler. The client is standing there. She's like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy cuts a little hole in the drywall and it was a leak in the return. Now, I'm not some genius. I just showed up, as you said, put that in my in my vault. And then I saw the bottom of a wall wet and I took a stab at it. And now the the restoration company's like, I want I want to work with you more. Let's figure out how we can work together. Because you know your stuff. So it's awesome. It's, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm no genius. I, I my parents hate when I say this. But I don't think it, you have to be a rocket scientist to be in the PNC industry. I think yeah. you just have to care. None of the things that any of us have learned are really difficult. We're not really studying actuarial tables. Where you just, if you care and you do a little bit of reading and a lot of podcast listening, that's all you got to do. Really. And, and, show and, sh- and show up. Yeah, and show exactly. up. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's literally show it. Up. It's the easiest thing. I buy I buy donuts for people when they have claims. Why? Because one time a guy made a joke to me that his when his heat was wasn't working, I was putting them in a hotel, and he's like, I could really use a hot cocoa. So I passed by a Dunkin' Donuts on the way to the house, grab a couple of hot cocos. I said, I was joking. I said, Yeah, but you're not gonna say no. Isn't it great? It's, it's so easy. It's the little things. It's man. so easy to show up, and it's so easy to show up, and it's cheap too. Yep. I don't, I, I don't have to I pay someone else to do it. So talk. Let's talk a little bit about your commercial business. I mean, what do you have a niche that you're focusing on right now? Is there a certain class of business, or there are certain lines that you specialize in? I would assume cyber is one of them, considering you have that designation. We've actually got. Uh, I've got a good uh, a friend of mine that's going through that program right now, and seems to be absolutely loving it. Yeah, it was. That was of the two programs. That was the harder one educationally just because it was different it was something that was so outside of what i was used to seeing and really getting into what it's going to be like in a large institution and analyzing a large institution and their cyber needs i mean i would love to say that i have fortune 500 companies and that i'm the cyber risk advisor to the largest hospital system in america i'm not but i analyze them as part of my you know as part of my program so i can kind of take that to the smaller level for our clients we do a lot of cyber uh, we're in New York, so real estate and contractors are a big one. And recently here, uh, in the last two or three years, we've developed two other real specialties. One is large property because that market just went nuts here. Hmm. So we're doing a lot of some clever things there. And uh, we do a lot of jewelers block insurance on the commercial side. So we're in Manhattan. We have a producer that specializes in that. We have partners in London. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, my father likes to say that we're total generalists. Everyone says that I should have a specialty. I like to say my specialty is being available. Uh, We do small commercial. We love that. I'm not against that. But I think that the value that we can add are, as you said, you know, being there with X mods. We have a large government contractor. We just did a whole analysis of their comp for them. Uh, So we like doing that. But I just like to be opportunistic. I think that 
people people really really value the service and as more agencies are being acquired it becomes easier for us to catch the people who get an 800 number so, so are you primarily yeah, so commercial question. then like as, as opposed as you're primarily commercial versus like like as far as percentage goes in terms of yeah i mean right it's, so it's hard to say right policy count wise yeah it's probably even pretty close or it's close to even but premium wise you know we have a couple large commercial accounts mm-hmm. as the biggest personal account that we have is not even going to come close to a mid-sized commercial account right. we just can't get that way sure so so here's my question how do you position that at the point of sale to let that client know or that prospect know the level of expertise you have regarding cyber based on experience. Cause I have to believe, I mean, to me, that's a powerful story, right? I'm sitting at the point of sale. I'm saying, Hey, look, you know, I've studied the cyber needs of the single largest hospital um, chain or whatever in, in the country and the needs of fortune 500 companies and understand those at a very deep level. Who do you, who do you want representing you? Somebody that understands that kind of stuff or a guy that says, Oh, by the way, we can sell you a cyber policy this year too. Well, I think that you know my father always talks about the fact that insurance agents and insurance carriers create our own worst enemy. He remembers, he always likes to say, I'm old enough to remember when private DNO insurance was created and then all of a sudden litigation started popping up. Mm-hmm. I think that cyber is like that, but I, it, it's different in the fact that it was going to happen anyway. So Yeah, I think I, it parallels EPI, EPLI almost to perfection. In terms of where, in terms of where they're at right now, I, I, I talk about this all the mm-hmm. time. You know, 15, 20 years ago, EPLI is where cyber is today. Everybody, you know, every agent that read Rough Notes knew that that it was a, a possibility, and you should be talking about it, whether they understood it or not. They they leaned on their underwriters to explain it to them, but, but everybody went out and sold it because. A, it was being talked about, which is a just novel concept. If you want to sell something, talk about it. You know, if you don't offer it to your client, they're never going to buy it from you. But, you know, that's the first piece. But the second piece is there wasn't enough actuarial information for them to adequately set the rates. Yeah. It was so super once- expensive when it came out. When cyber came out, nobody was buying because it, it was super expensive. Well, now it's, it's artificially too- low. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, it's way too low. And you asked, how do I position my expertise? There's two things that I say. Number one, there's no excuse not to have it anymore, right? As you said, it's artificially low. Now you got to make sure you get the right product. I'm not a person who sells insurance on fear except for cyber. There is there is nothing, there is no, even EPLI, which has equal to or more claims now, it's it's rare that an EPLI claim can bankrupt a company. Because I was getting ready to say, an EPLI claim is not going to put somebody out of business. Cyber will in a heartbeat. Just cyber notification. Just notification. Forget everything else. Just the notification requirements can and will put a small business out, put a medium mm-hmm. business out. The l- more clients you have, the more risk you have. And it's not, by the way, it's not so much the indemnity side. It's the government regulations and it's the mandatory reporting and the mandatory follow-up that you have to have when you have even a potential breach if you look at the claim data there's very few ultimately loss of data litigation that leads to indemnity payments to individuals but it's all the reporting the reputation management which is a disaster right we're not all target we can't say we can't afford to have a breach and then say but you love our products and we have a dog with a bullseye on it and you're going to come back anyway who cares that we lost your credit card information Mm-hmm. I can't afford that if every single one of my clients finds out that their data was potentially compromised and I can't hire someone who knows a lot better how to spin that so that I don't go out of business, I'm gone. And the other thing 
that I, an unfortunate area of expertise is that I was personally a victim of identity theft in February of 2020. Mm. So I went through the whole thing. I found out that the police didn't care. The FBI didn't care. There was a guy who went into a bank branch of my bank with a New York state driver's license with the exact same information except his picture. He gave them my social security number. His signature was money, just like it was Mm. perfect. And he took, you know, almost $20,000 out of my savings and checking account. Uh, I got it back because it was federally insured. But if I didn't have the personal insurance that I have, it would have been much more expensive for me to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And as much as as I like to say I'm a cyber genius, there are people who specialize in the claims. And if you can't get access to them, right, the great carriers... They get you access to the experts. Forget about the fact that it's free. I would have paid for it, but I couldn't get to the head of Cyber Scout, which is a great company. And these people yeah. were calling me and following up and giving me tidbits of information that on the personal side, I didn't even learn in cyber school. And hey, the, the risk management side, tools they the risk management tools they give you alone are worth more than the cost of the policy in many cases. And here's a fun fact for everybody out there that's slinging cyber blindly without reading your coverage forms, probably need to check and make sure that those government fines and penalties are even covered because half the time they're excluded, if not more. It's one of those things where I also, as you do, rates are artificially low, as you said, but the difference between a really bad or inadequate cyber policy and a good one is negligible in most cases. Again, we're not. I'm not talking about large healthcare where you have all that HIPAA and stuff like that. I'm talking about the average main street of America business where you might have some social security numbers, you might have some credit card information with that. Mm-hmm. The difference between a inadequate add-on piece that's not really going to get you all those bells and whistles and the real policy, less than coffee. Mm-hmm. In, ter- in terms of cost, yeah. In terms of cost. And, and, and once you make the sale, Right, I make the sale of the, the actual product, and then they say, but why can't I get it cheaper? And I say, because then when you have a claim, my father always says, we sell a piece of paper and a promise to pay. The worst thing for me is you have a claim and there's some exclusion in there or some line item that's missing, and then I lose you as a client, you lose trust in the business, and by the way, your business goes under. So mm-hmm. that's where the, I think that's where the expertise comes in because I've also kind of tried to study the products as best as I can. Well, yeah, and I mean that's a moving target, man. Good grief! Say, it I mean, seems look like at how changing. much it's just, yeah, how much it's morphed in the last five or ten years. Number one, everybody and their brothers entered that marketplace. But in addition to that, you know, you start throwing in excess and surplus lines. It's the wild west. I mean, you literally—if you're not a student of coverage forms, you better become one really, really quick because you might be selling something that's not worth the paper that it's written on, or, and, or find one that you love and figure out how to sell it. Right, find the two or three companies that you're comfortable with, and then just don't sell to the bottom line cheapest number. When someone says, "Hey, some other agent gave me this for cheaper," no, you don't have to study all of them. Just know why your two or three products are better than those. And mm-hmm. people, you know, people will buy. People drive to the bottom line of a lot of things, but especially business owners, the the I think the difference between EPLI and cyber is that EPLI we were all reading about it in the industry. Our clients weren't seeing it as much because it's not yeah, in the news. Yeah, that's fair. Cyber, you don't have to – I'll let the media sell it for me. I'll let the media put the fear in the people and then we just come back and tell them how to solve it. Mm-hmm. I think the thing though – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that same point though 
and say that I do think that it creates a false sense of security for the small and mid-sized business. And here's why I'm saying that. We don't ever hear about that yeah. on the media. We hear about the TJ Maxx. We hear about Wawa. We hear, I mean, Wawa got me twice in the same year on my business card. And so I think that business owners of small business and medium-sized businesses feel like it can't quote unquote can't happen to them because that's not what they're seeing on the news when in reality they're the real target i mean something like 84 percent of that the, are out there are looking for that small business reality is it's probably already happened to them they just don't know right yeah exactly and i mean it goes back to these these people make their money i mean i don't know what the stat is for this year i mean if i had my buddy scott bean on here he could rattle it off in a heartbeat but he talks about the billions of dollars that are made just from cybercrime. It makes the mafia look like romper room, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, by the way, insane. we didn't mention ransomware, right? We, we didn't even get to ransomware oh, yeah. yet. That's, that's, I, I tell people all the time you hear about Target, Target survived. You hear about Wawa, Wawa is going to survive. Chase, yeah. If, if someone hears about you, they're going to be hearing that you went out of business. Right. Yep. So, that's I. Th- you're right. I think that that's a difference in the small and mid size. A people don't think it's going to happen to them when mm-hmm. it when it will, and it is. And but and the other thing is, and this is when you talk about just the point of sale. And I hope that everyone who's listening kind of looks at this piece also. Is people say, "Oh, I got I got my IT guy. They got that covered." <laughs> well, fir- first of all, let's take a look at really that certificate of insurance. Right. Yeah. yeah. But first of all, that doesn't really help you. <laughs> Second of all. Not sure that's going to help you in the defense side or pay for your expenses like notification, like reputation management. And great. So they'll go out of business with you. Right. Great. You're right. All their clients get hacked. They're not a client of mine or yours. So they might have the, not have the right coverage. Great. You'll go out of business and they'll go out of business. Have a nice day. Well, and listen, let's just make it as easy as possible. Some of these people or many of these people get hacked tomorrow. They don't even know where to start with the reporting. So take the insurance and throw it out the window, just making sure they're in legal compliance with what the regulations are. And you're in a much higher regulated state, specifically to cyber, than what we are. But I mean, I can tell you right now that I bet 90% of the business owners out there, if they didn't have a cyber policy, wouldn't even know what their requirements are to report to the state, to report to the FBI, all the other things you know that go into it. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, and there are, there are good risk management businesses and recovery businesses that are out there and we work with some of them. And I, I think that that's one of the benefits of there actually being an insurance side of this, because then you, then you have service providers who can really be the experts in these things who know that they're going to get paid. They know that they're not going to get nickel and dimed or that their client won't go out of business if the carriers won't to pay them. So they're kind of willing to link up with the carriers in that way. And that has, that, that has produced some really great products. But I think that also the average consumer doesn't even know, you know, in in most states in the United States, you can't even do self-reporting to your clients. You must outsource that to a approved vendor for that. And they're going to charge you that. So I just tell people, how many records do you have? Let's start at a hundred bucks a record. Yeah. (laughs) You, you, You might be, you might have some inherited wealth that I don't know about. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Do you want to spend it all on some on, you know, you have 5,000 clients or 500 clients at $100 a client and that's on the cheap side when you're done with the whole cycle? Right. I have a client that is a large 
online background screening company (laughs) that I don't even want to tell you the number of records they have, but I can assure you that the value they get by having their cyber policy far outweighs what that would look like. And look, let's not even, here's another one, forensic accounting. Like who, these business owners, do you really think you're going to be able to adjust a cyber claim? So I have a a friend of mine that is in a governmental agency that has specifically been involved in cyber crime. And he told me, you know, one of the number one things they were seeing, this is going back a couple of years, but it was gypsies. You know, we had them come into the grocery stores all the time where they'd come in, create a commotion, drag a manager to one corner of the store while they stole the cigarettes or robbed the safe or whatever. And then they funnel out and it's five minutes after they're gone before anybody realizes what happened. But that's what they would do. They would go into these these um, retail facilities. And he said the easiest ones to penetrate are the ones where the card readers on the side of the monitor and they have to slide it down. But they would they would go into these small businesses. They would distract the person, take them to the back. The other person very quickly would take the skimmer, plug it into the back of the uh, POS system, and then plug that back into the back of the computer. A month later, they'd go back. Same thing in reverse. They'd leave with their skimmer. And no, they wouldn't even know how it happened or where it came from or any of that. They have no idea that it's going on. Could you imagine having to put together the accounting for all of that stuff? What, what, Not what about having fa- expertise? And it's also just, you know, I, human error, it, it's a thing, right? We're, we're all still human and I'm not saying, and that's why you have insurance because I don't want, you don't want human error to mess things up. But I tell people one of the more embarrassing things in my life was we had a, one of these original cybersecurity firms come in, pitch my dad. I'm working with them for risk management. This goes back right when I started 10 years. Guy goes, uh, can you call your staff in here? So no problem. We have a small office. Everyone goes to my father's office. He says, just give me 30 seconds. Had a digital camera with him. This is probably at the beginning of the iPhone. Walks around, lifts up everybody's keyboards, takes a picture of the bottom of the keyboard, seven out of eight people, including myself, (laughs) passwords. So by Hmm. the way, and he said, and this is, this is not a joke. You know, you talk about, you talk about the mafia and I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody, not justifiably, but the fact is that we have the cleaning people in offices. There is a mafia out there that gives them a camera and says, here's your job. This is what you're going to do or we're going to do X, Y, and Z to you. All you have to do, you don't even have to look for anything. Lift up every keyboard, take a picture. Some of them will be blank. Some of them will be passwords. Hmm. Listen, Easy. That's some, crazy, man. Yeah. Easy. Some of, the, some of this social engineering is insane. I was just telling the story. It was about this time last year that we got nailed. Like, so... I, my two years ago, I got hit twice. Wawa's breach ran from like March till December before they ever realized that a hundred percent of their point of sale systems had been compromised. And so you're just my up debit in there card, getting roller dogs every morning. Yeah, <laughs> my 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 uh, debit card was compromised on two different occasions. I never swiped it at the pump. It was yeah. always at the register. And then the second piece is that. Um, Last year, we got hit hard. Like, thank God I caught it. And I only caught it by the grace of God, truthfully. But, um, you know, if you're if you're an agency principal out there and you're listening to this, I'm going to get this is real world advice. Probably don't want to have your people's names and email addresses in the common areas of your website. What ended up happening to us and mm-hmm. I got zero support from anybody in this process 
I was actually headed over to across the bridge to meet with my buddy Greg Hogan, who has an agency up in um, Middlebrook, New York, and comes down for a couple of weeks every year. And I, I was going over to help brainstorm some stuff with him. And I get a call. Like I was on the phone talking to somebody and I get a call and it's a Nebraska number. And I'm like, Nebraska? Like, no, I don't know anybody except yeah. PayPal. PayPal's in Nebraska. You know, Berkshire Hathaway's in Nebraska. But regardless, so I, I'm like, you know what? This person's called me two or three times. Like they just would hang up and immediately call back. So I knew it wasn't a telemarketer. And it was a lady at a check cashing place. And she said, hey, I don't have a problem cashing a $10,000 check. But I want to make sure that it's legitimate. And I said, what? Okay. <laughs> um, it's not because I would be very much aware if we had cut a check for $10,000 to an individual in Nebraska. But, mm-hmm. you know, do you mind? You know, I just I've got a couple questions. Does it have like a rubber stamp signature or a signature on there? And she said, yes. I said, do you mind taking a picture of it and sending it to me? She said, absolutely not. So she did. And because and I told her, I said, there's only two people that can sign checks in my organization. It's me and my CFO. And she has a rubber stamp with my signature on it because she's in Southeast Florida. And I doubt very seriously she like left it on the table at McDonald's. I mean, (laughs) it's nothing that ever leaves her office. I said so. But I really would have a hard time believing that somebody duped her. And um, she sends me the picture of the check. And sure enough, it's legit. It's my signature on the check. So I told her, I said, this is not a legitimate check. Somehow this lady got this. Can you ask her where she came, it came from? And she said, you know, she's irate. She said she's worked for you for three months now and you owe her this money. And she thought something was shady. I was like, well, well, number one, what was she doing? And the lady said, you know, she was saying she was doing some sort of transcription. I said, I'm an insurance agency. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to spare you all of the gory details Number one, here's here's one of my first problems with it. I said, you need to call the authorities right now. And they said, and the lady comes back and said, the owner won't do it unless you agree to come to Nebraska for any kind of legal, um, you know, ceremonies, whatever's going to happen. No, I'm not going to Nebraska for anything, um, you yeah. know, in February. It doesn't make sense. Or, uh, or and, ever. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to say <laughs> never, but. Little Nebraska League is not series. on the vacation spot list. And but college, any, college insurance World pro- any insurance prospects that are listing here and you're in Nebraska, don't call David, call me. I'll come visit you in Nebraska. <laughs> I will come to Nebraska. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I would highly recommend that you do that because his blood is thick enough he can handle it. Um, but that being said, so here's, here's what happened. They had gone and scraped that data from the public area of our website with name and address, uh, an email address, because I used to have our team listed on there. And here's where things get crazy. I I, I figured this out on my own. Nobody solved this riddle, but I, I put it together over the course of a couple of days. The first thing was I called my CFO. I'm like, what's going on? You know, it said, why did we cut it? She goes, what do you mean? You're telling me you didn't authorize that check? I, I, you sent me an email. And I said, no, I didn't. So I said, forward it to me. So she forwarded it to me and it was spot on. It was good. They made one mistake. They used her name twice. They used her name at the bottom of the email to make emphasis on how, how important it was to get this out immediately. I never would have used her name twice. So that became anything over a certain dollar amount. You better pick up the phone, call me and have verbal authorization. I will not send any requests like this through me email ever. Never. Mm -hmm. Never have before. Never will again. So that's number one. Then I started going in and looking to figure out kind of how all of this thing got pieced together. And here's, here's what happened. 
You see those ads all the time. Make money as a stay-at-home mom. Make $30,000 a year, $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year, whatever it is. Well, this lady signed up for an at-home job doing either medical transcription or coding or whatever it was. It was on Indeed. I found out that these people had hacked into our email and they had gone in to Indeed and set up a job posting for a transcriptionist that when you hit reply went to Raphael's email address, who's one of my producers, but it had an immediate forwarding rule to a, a, a Gmail account for somebody else. These guys were going to the other person and they were getting paid for the work that was getting done. This lady was legitimately doing what she thought she was supposed to be doing. And these crooks were getting paid by the, the hospitals or whatever to, um, you know, that were doing it. And then they were hacking companies like mine. And we were the ones that were they're toting the bill for all of this work. Right. And so you could never like unless what's that? It's, crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And if we if I wouldn't have understood how to get into the back end of Outlook and look at all of the rules that were set and everything else. And I just said from that day on, forget it. I'm taking everybody's information, even even just having their email address on there, which you think would would be a like a normal to, thing. Yeah. Yeah. They found it and used it against us. And not to mention the fact three weeks after that, Kyle, Raphael, Jason, all of you guys called me on the way to the office and said, what do, what do you mean you need $500 worth of iTunes gift cards from CVS on my way to sales meeting? Dude, no, they like, got me. And that's how it happens, man, is is like all it takes is you to just be distracted for a second. Like I was sitting at a red light, actually getting ready to pull into Wawa to get a coffee. And I got a little buzz for an email on my phone, open it up and it's your email address. Or at least it said, Dave, you know, David... Carruthers on there is I just I, I clicked it real quick which and they had spoofed it, my email right and so after I clicked on it then it then it became kind of weird it was like a earthlink whatever like some 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 sort of weird address and I was like okay and then I just like you know shut my phone I got to the office I'm like dude <laughs> I just got this weird email and you're like yeah everybody by that by that point like you know Jason and Raphael and everybody had already been there and kind of told you what was going on, but I was, you know, it, it can happen. I mean, obviously we, we talk about cyber a lot. We, you know, sell the product. It's like, you would think that I would have the wherewithal to not open something like that. But again, it, it looked legitimate enough to, you know, for me to click on it. And it's, that's all it takes. And the average employee is like, hold on. What if it's legit and I don't open it? And yeah. it is my boss who needs something or it, exactly. so it's hard to sell. The well, other that's thing the whole I would just say, engineering piece, man. That's what they do. They rely on somebody's fear of losing their job if they don't act in order to get them to do something mm -hmm. and compromise what they would normally do as a result of it. And if you've never well, talked about it before, like your, your example with, um, you know, Cara and everything, like if you've never had the discussion about, yeah, Hey, I would never send something like this. This is, you know, only something that we would communicate over the phone or whatever. Yeah, and she then, and I have been together know. for 10 plus years, man. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. The it other thing that I would say, the other thing that I would say, and it, this doesn't have to do with insurance, but it's just, I think that, you know, your story also kind of, on you know, points this out is it's really also important to have, especially if you're a business owner, a good relationship with your financial institution. Because like your bank or the team at a bank, and that's not, again, I think if they want to go to some random bank branch or an ATM and they have your car and they want to take 40 bucks out, I don't want to say that's the cost of doing business, but like it's 40 bucks, you know, you're not going to make it that every time 
you want to go to, but if you have a good relationship with your financial institution and you're a business owner and they understand kind of the, the rhythm of your business, who you write checks to, how you write them, what kind of balances you're seeing. You know, we have a rule, like you said, there's only, there's only three people in our company that can sign checks. Our bank knows exactly what the signatures look like. And mm-hmm. if it's above $5,000, it's a pain sometimes, but they check it with us. Yeah. And I don't mind going through that extra step and I don't mind being available for my bank for the sake of catching the one time that it's going to happen yeah, so that it doesn't happen. So it doesn't get out of control. You know, we talk about reliance on technology, not, you know, to circle back to the beginning of our conversation. I, I don't think that on the financial management side of a business, people should become so financially dependent on tech, so dependent on technology, on their finances, where they don't know what's going on in their business because that it can spin really quickly, right? David, if you didn't well, catch it, it's $150,000 later. Well, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I mean, your mom's writing checks left and right, <laughs> you know? She, she's right. still writing paper checks. For that reason, by the way. Cause yeah. For that reason, because the bank knows if there's an operating, if there's a check on our operating account and it comes from a computer, it's not right. Yeah. It's, it's not right. And she has a pretty unique handwriting. Um, so, you know, but... Again, I don't think that computers are bad. I just think that as a business owner, we have to we have to take stock in the fact and kind of evaluate our risks on the cyber side, but also take responsibility for that which we can control and just go Absolutely. from there. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, we're coming up on time, so I want to be respectful of the time that you blocked off for us. I know that people will want to reach out to you and pick your brain, and if nothing else, just to say – I talked to one of only four people in the world that have these two designations. How can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Aaron Gordon. Look for the Aaron Gordon, not the basketball player, but the guy with the one of four I've got to be designations. Honest, I was pretty disappointed this morning when you jumped on. I was like, well, I'm looking for the dunk contest, Orlando Magic, you know, my guy. So, so I'll, I'll get to that. In, I'll get to that in one second because I have been – people have actually mistaken me for him, whatever. Um, or you can find me on – all the social platforms, NY Risk Advisor on uh, Instagram. You can find our company on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Aaron Gordon. You can find me there as well. So I'm obviously happy to make the time to speak with anyone. You can email me, Aaron, at gordoncompanies.com, and we'll we'll uh, block off a time. What I will say to you, Kyle, is that the NBA Players Association apparently is in the same building as one of our carriers. So I show up in Manhattan about a year and a half ago when we used to meet with people and they give me a badge, Aaron Gordon going to 18. And I say, no, I'm going to 34. And they give me the badge. I say, oh, 18, it's this elevator bank. I say, I've been here like 20 times. It's that way. I look at it, it says Aaron Gordon, NBPA 18. So I said, hold on, I'm going to go to 18. And then the guy takes it away from me. I said, of all the stupid paraphernalia that I should have kept, it should have been just one of those. So Aaron Gordon, if you're listening, Let's do some social together. Let's make some fun content, me and you. I hope he's listening. That would be incredible. I hope that you guys put a one-on-one competition live streaming on YouTube for all of our viewing yeah. pleasure. Well, I can out-geek you in cyber, so whatever. Who cares if you can dunk over me? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks so much. It was good to hear your story. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point to see where things are headed because I, I know that uh, if anything else, cyber – in the next year is going to change even more dramatically as a result of fallout from COVID. So it'll be interesting to, uh, thanks so much for having me. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I'm super stoked to see what the cartoon comes out as. Oh, nice. (laughs) You're welcome. Kyle, you're welcome. You may very well be holding an Orlando magic basketball now. That's it. That's it. Awesome. Good deal, man. Thanks again. Talk soon. See See you. 
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 